Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And Peyton Jones. And I got nothing. That's awesome. Well, this is the Church Planner Podcast, and you're listening to... Oh, this is episode 60. Woohoo! Are you serious? I was yeah. about to say episode... Yeah, no, it's episode 60. It's a big number. Boy, hey, at least somebody's paying attention, right? It's my IQ, and uh, also how much <laughs> I'm over in weight. 60 pounds. All right. That's awesome. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my mental age is sixty years old. I'm already an old man at forty. Well, with the beard, mm, I wouldn't actually put you at sixty. I'd put you more like at fifty, fifty-two. I was an old man at twenty-eight years old, and the way I know is some kids were skateboarding when I was out on the mission field. I came home. I was staying with some family. Some kids were skateboarding outside. It was like eleven thirty at night, and they're right on the corner. Uh, doing ollies off the curb. And I remember going out and going, hey, man, it's 1130. You guys go to bed. And they're like, oh, sorry, sir. Yeah, sorry we disturbed you, sir. And I came in and I told Hannah, I'm an old man. Both mentally and 18-year-old kids call me sir. Wow. That's pretty bad, actually. Yeah. Oh, dude, I was grumpy. I was going to kill somebody. It's 1130. Can you guys go to bed? Exactly. Yeah, dude, I've always been early to bed, but I think jet lag played a part. But yeah, I've been a grumpy old man before my time, to be sure. Nice. I dig it. Yeah. You've been up early, speaking of grumpy old men. I know. I'm not much of an early person, especially after this whole time change. I, I, I'm i not a big fan of the time change. It's, that doesn't do good for me. No, this time change sucks. The I other one's, like, totally cool. I don't you know, know the why they like, don't just, like, leave the time the same. Like, literally, why are they changing it? There's, they're talking about it. I mean, it messes church up, right? You ever see, like, pastors are panicking, you know? Oh, oh everyone, don't forget. Don't forget, you know, the, the, the dive bucket comes around at 1045 a.m. <laughs> I actually read up on it this last time. 
You know how they always say it's for the farmers to give them more daylight? I mean, you've heard that, right? No, that that's the reason that they give? Well, that's the reason that they give, but it's not true because it actually started <laughs> in 1960. Who's going to fall for that? Well, everybody. I remember hearing that all the time when I was growing up. But they in 1968, it's when they, they passed it. And it's because by that point, the uh, farm lobby had greatly decreased because they'd been fighting it for years. And... Um, and they didn't they just didn't have the the influence that they once had and so they finally got it to pass the reason is is because the reason why they do it is cuz it makes it lighter later and that gets you to go shopping after work yeah and mo- money's in it somewhere yeah it's all about the money so they've done all these studies that show you're uh, 6% more likely to get into a car accident monday or tuesday after that time change like all these stats show that it it literally does not like save any money it doesn't benefit electricity or anything like that it's all to get you to go shopping that's the whole reason well i was calling uh john quick he's over in anchorage alaska at the moment and i was getting ready to call him about something with the magazine and uh he's like yeah you know whatever uh alaska time i'm thinking i don't even know like how different from california alaska time is so i had to look it up and they're like uh it's two time zones over is it but really? then I thought, well, hold on a second. You know, what time is it now? So I Googled what time is it now in Anchorage. And it was one hour difference. And I'm like, dude, what's up with that? You know, that doesn't make sense. Turns out they and Hawaii and a couple other places in America don't even observe. I think Utah doesn't observe it. No, I'm just teasing. But yeah, anyways, the, those are, those are, there's a yeah, couple of places. Yeah, but they got polygamy, that, so they're all right. Well, that's what I was thinking. You know, they're out in the desert. They got a bunch of wives. They got too much to worry about. I don't think Arizona deals with it. Like, I think, because I remember when I used to travel a lot to Arizona, I'd always have to, like, figure, are they the same time as us? Or have they switched yet? Because, like, part of the year, they're the same. Arizona has a cracker barrel. That probably (laughs) means nothing to you, right? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, dude, that's amazing. Like, seriously, I I, I flew over to uh, Virginia. Just want to give a shout out to uh, my brothers over at the International Pentecostal Holiness Church. Uh, Good guys over there, Dayton Burt and uh, some other dudes. They had me come out. I met them at a church planning conference, and they had me come out and speak about church planning. Awesome guys doing great work out there. And, uh, yeah, man, they, uh, they flew me out and the first place I want to go, I got in late. My plane broke twice. So I got in kind of late, missed my Friday night event. I'm like, dude, Waffle House. And they looked at me like I was an alien. Like nobody goes to Waffle House. Like friends don't let friends go to Waffle House. Nice. But then, yeah, dude is in the South, but that, that's a place where like you go in and it's like good times, man. Everyone's singing like, yeah, you know, they're singing gospel. All the ladies are like, what well, can I get you sugar? That's that's the coolest place in the world. Pork chops and waffles, man. I'm telling you. We we went so. to a wedding out in Georgia several years ago, and I could not believe how many waffle houses there were. Literally, yeah. you know the the signs on the side of the freeway that say, you know, what eateries are at the next yeah. exit. Every yeah. single <clears throat> exit had a waffle house, and right by the hotel that we were staying at, there were two waffle houses within sight of each other. Like they could see each other. It's crazy. And you're not even exaggerating. If you guys have never been to the South, Pete's like, he's not even exaggerating. It is at every single like 
exit where there's a gas station or whatever, there's going to be a Waffle House. And it, it is the place to get grits, man. I'm just telling you. You know, if you ever done a Greyhound trip or anything through the South, man, Waffle House is your salvation. We've actually, we never went to it. <laughs> so I don't know what it's like there, but... But they had them everywhere. You will live crazy. five years longer than the average human for not having gone to Waffle House. Really? That bad, huh? Oh, dude, it's bad for you. It's re- That's why the guys were like, uh, are you sure you want to go there? And I was like, yeah, man. I, I love Waffle House. You know, Take me to a greasy spoon in the South any day, man. I'm there. And it was good. Oh, my gosh. It was good. It was so bad for you, but it was so good. Nice. So what are we, we talking about talk today? About church planting at some point today. I know huh? we should get back to the the, the topic at hand. <laughs> so the topic at hand, we're starting a new series today. Uh, we're going to talk about planting a church in a waffle house and or a cracker barrel. What is a cracker barrel? Uh, oh, dude, cracker barrel. That's like the the country general star uh, general store restaurant where they got like a front porch rocking chairs outside and it's this whole chain dude they even make their own cheese i don't want to get you all excited but it's true and uh anyways they got a gift shop up front which is kind of funny sells a bunch of hick stuff bunch of duck dynasty stuff but uh man i tell you the food there is good if you want like fried okra grilled catfish i'm telling you i'm a southern boy is it a restaurant or is it a department it's both it's it's like a it's like a general, it's a restaurant with a general store in the uh, front, but a buddy of mine calls it the flea market where, you know, they got a kitchen. You can eat something if you want, but it's a Southern thing, man. I got to tell you, it's, uh, I'm in heaven in Cracker Barrel. Ring. Yeah. Curse him. He calls me all the time. So, yeah, man. So our topic at hand today is actually nothing to do with Cracker Barrel or Waffle House, but you can listen to this podcast in a Cracker Barrel or a Waffle House. The reality is what we're talking about today is the top issues that church planners face. And we want to kind of piggyback on the back of a study that Ed Stetzer did a number of years ago. It was very good. And what we want to talk about today is um, the first thing, they, they basically profiled, they did a big study about the things that you guys want to hear about and the things that you find difficult, the top challenging issues. And there are seven of them um, because, you know, that's a holy number. I, I would have thought it was 10, but they settled on seven. They're like probably had eight and they're like, well, we got to even this off, knock off one could, of them. It could have been six. And they're like, oh, that's man's number according to Revelation. We got to add one. Nice. I don't don't know. So here's the deal. So the first topic then is it has to do with leadership development and reproducing culture. So basically, you're in your church plant. How do you uh, uh, recruit and develop uh, leaders for your team? And how do you ensure that your church plant is going to plant more churches? So a reproducing culture means that the church doesn't stop here. It keeps going. And, of course, leadership development, recruiting and developing leaders to either A, hold down the fort, or B, uh, take the flag and plant it on the next hill. Um, that They're connected. So that that's our topic at hand, man. That's it. That's all I got to say about that. Are we all done with that topic? We're done. Next topic, number two. <laughs> so, 
you know, we've we have talked about this one actually before, Pete. I don't know if you remember, we talked about um, ensuring that your church is a church planning church. And I remember you and I talked about the fact um, that uh, really the key to that is discipling more leaders. That there's two things that hold back mission. Number one is money, and number two is manpower. And so, you know, with us, Pete, you know, we kind of talk a lot about what's called guerrilla church planning, where you could take two dudes off, uh, you know, take them off your team, um, drop them in a city, have them walk around and pray a bit, and boom, have them evangelize, get to know people, and start a church. Um, that's guerrilla church planning. But at the same time, um, w- what we're also talking about is... Um, let's say there is a church, uh, you know, how am I going to disciple the next guys coming up? So I start with two, but if, if I'm held back by manpower, in other words, if we're only two leaders and we stay two leaders in our church plant, then there's not much room to, to move on and grow. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I remember when we talked about this before, Pete, you were kind of like, yeah, man, that makes so much sense. Um, that that would be because I actually think money's not as much of a hindrance. I, I said there's two, there's money, and then there's manpower. I kind of don't think money's as big of a hindrance as people want to make it. I actually think the key is this issue, and that is uh, developing leaders um, in order to be a reproducing church. I think that's the key. And I remember you at the time go, you know, you were saying that that's exactly what it is, man. Well, let me ask you this: When do you think you should be thinking about planting a church? <laughs> at that's, what at what point? Yeah, that's a great question. I think before you've planted the first one. In in other words, you've got to kind of go into your church plant thinking part of our DNA has to be that we are going to plant churches, plant more churches. So, for example, if you join New Breed Church Planning, um, one of our key distinctives is we will not assist you, coach you, mentor you to plant a church unless you are committed to planting a church out of the church that you're going to plant. So um, you have to be, by nature, a reproducing church. And it's one thing to pay lip service to that. It's another thing to do it. Because once you kind of get some momentum and the, the Lord starts moving and people start getting saved, it's a lot harder to follow through with that. So I think you need to go into it. You need to be telling your team the whole time. Just, I mean, you've been with me since the beginning in Refuge Long Beach. And we have, um, since day one, I've told them, hey, guys, we want to reach the city. Um, we want to reach the county. We want to reach a state and the nation and the world. So it, there's no telling where it's going to go from here. But I, I laid out the team leadership model that's in Church Zero. Ching, ching. And that team leadership is specifically for the purpose of gospel uh, outward expansion. You know, I wonder how hard that is for a church planner to get their mind around. Like, I realize for you, that's your DNA. I mean, like you said, you've got the apostle bent to you of plant and move on, plant and move on. But, you know, so many church planners are probably looking at it going, look, the whole reason why I'm knocking myself silly to do this is so I can finally have a church. And, you know, like the thought of planting out has got to be like the last thing on their mind when they're starting their church plant. 
And and that's an important point because, you know, I was talking with a guy in the UK just yesterday and he's like, look, I'm not an apostle. And I said, well, look, make no mistake, non-apostles plant churches. It's just that if you were a teacher and a shepherd, you would plant a church differently than an apostolic guy or a prophetic guy would. That, that what makes a guy apostolic isn't that he plants a church. Some guys think if they plant a church or apostolic, for example, um, uh, one of our guys uh, is Charlie Marquez. Um, he's a teacher, but he is a church planner, but he's not apostolic. So in other words, let's let's define the term. Apostolic means that you're going to be a guy who's going to plant multiple churches. Now, you can be a stationary apostle where, say, like James or even, you know, whoever took over in Antioch or um, Ephesus, they uh, they planted out from there. All all three of those churches planted out from themselves, but the guy stayed there. Um, but then you have the goers like Paul the Apostle, Timothy, um, Barnabas. You know uh, the list goes on. Titus, uh, Silvanus, Epaphroditus, uh, Apollos. You're just uh, showing Cole off with your Bible name knowledge. Yeah, I I I was. I was going to start making up names before you before you said that, but um, <laughs> that would have been a great. You know, can you tell which one of these names does not belong? <laughs> Hubert. But but here's the deal is that, you know, all uh, you can be a church planter um, and you plant once. And, and uh, for example, the my roots are in Calvary Chapel. Ed Stetzer said, gosh, this is one of the most prolific church planting movements of the 20th century. And he's right because they planted, you know, there was one in, you know, 1967. And now there's, you know, over like 500 of them worldwide. At one time, I thought it was 800, but, you know, who's counting? A few 300 or so get lost, but the the reality is that... Well, plus it also spawned, um, Vineyard came out of Calvary. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, lots of movements have, and exactly. lots of movements owe their... I, I mean, you could go on and argue that even some other movements came out. Um, but, you know, it, here's the deals that... Um, You've got a church planter is a guy who plants a church, and he may be a one-hit wonder. He may just be the guy that plants. And so for Charlie Marquez, um, he might actually turn out to be uh, a sending planter. He loves church planting, and he may be a sending apostle with his big blade teaching, but we don't know yet. Time will tell. Um, and just so you know, often uh, a guy starts off in ministry, and he's not an apostle right away. Um, he might develop as a teacher, then God might start honing a shepherding gift, then he might start doing some evangelism. And so by the time you're apostolic, um, you've kind of done the whistle-stop tour through the other four roles, and you've developed in those, because an apostolic leader needs to be a one-man band uh, for planting. So uh, to a certain degree, he's got to have, uh, in some proportion, those other four roles. Uh, one of the common questions we have is, well, you know, I've read Church Zero, cha-ching, um, there's five roles. Uh, what if I don't have all five of those roles? And we say, well, it's very rare that you do when you plan a church. Um, the reality is it may just be like Paul and, and Barnabas, two apostles traveling around, and eventually you may be, um, you know, picking up a prophetic guy or an evangelist or a teacher um, but very rarely are all five in the same room at the same time um, until your leadership team develops and things get more established. And that usually, like for us at Refuge Long Beach, that's happening now. 
um, you know, we've, we've got all the roles pretty much represented. We're still waiting for our prophetic guy, which isn't uncommon in a word-based situation, but, um, but going back to this thing, you might be a church planner, but you're not going to plant anymore. That what makes an apostolic guy apostolic is that whether he's a sender or a goer, he's going to keep planting churches. So, um, and that's going to be his passion. So many of our guys have an apostolic bent to them. Um, with uh, New Breed, what we're saying is these churches exist um, not for themselves. They exist for the world outside of their four walls, if that makes sense. It does. I dig it. So leadership development is key. And let's just let's just back off a second because what happens often is we find ourselves in a church climate um, or maybe a structure that can be unhelpful to kingdom expansion. For example, right, let's say you plan a church and you appoint elders and you've joined New Breed and you're saying, hey, I, I really want to plant more churches out and you're more apostolic and you're chomping at the bit and you get bored, right? That's what usually happens to an apostle. Before he realizes that he's a a serial church planner, church planning ninja, a.k.a. uh, New Testament apostle uh, with a little a, um, he starts getting bored. And he wonders, you know, what's wrong with me? Why, after planning this thing and watching it pop and getting to a certain stage, why do I need to move on? And I suppose, Pete, it's kind of like being an entrepreneur. You know, (laughs) you're like, okay, most entrepreneurs, right, they start up. And then they hand off. Am, am I right on that? Well, not necessarily that they hand off, though they can. But yeah, it's a big distinction between a business owner and an entrepreneur. And people often confuse the two and think they're the same thing. And they're not, actually. Um, business owners are just that. They are totally focused on their business. You know, Think of that as the church planner, like a Charlie, who might send out others, but they're, you know, they're not going to go around starting other churches more than likely. Uh, right. Whereas the entrepreneur is always like ADD, you know, um, I got this great idea. They take it to fruition. Maybe they sell it. Maybe they just hire people to run it. And then it's like, okay, here's the next thing I'm going to do. And it might be like uh, a twist on the same idea. You know, now they're going to sell the yeah. info product on how to do what they just did. And, you know, and it's, but that's the entrepreneur. They're, they're constantly going from one thing to the next and easily the most understood uh least understood person is the entrepreneur yeah because no one gets them family doesn't get them other (laughs) business owners don't get them they're like why don't you just be happy with what you got and they can't it's just they can't well and that and you know if we even look at like you know contemporary examples of guys that were entrepreneurial you know um chuck smith right no wonder calvary chapel was a church planning movement because that guy had the uncanny ability to spot the gifting in young men sometimes guys he had just met uh, maybe some guy who came out of like you know the um, some baptist church in the south and comes out i know uh, sandy adams says that you know, he's just some you know kind of uh southern preacher who happened to be in california and chuck smith looked at him and said hey I see the Lord's hand on you, you know, go do, go plant, you know, go do what you got to do. And, um, and, and what's interesting is that Chuck released people. Uh, uh, An apostolic guy is really into empowering and equipping others and setting them free, releasing them. That's one of the things that Stetzer noted that made Calvary Chapel so successful 
was a lack of wanting to control it. Many denominations put heavy top-down control on their ministers. And I'm not going to mention denominations by name, but we all know, uh, we've heard the ways, the polity, the, 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 the MOs of certain denominations, how they work. And often there's so much red tape and so much process to get through that you might as well just, you know, uh, write off six, seven years of your life. Well, Chuck was like, let me lay hands on you and pray. And if the spirit's with you, it's, it's going to pop. And he just sent these guys out and he did use discernment. He just didn't pick any loser, but he walked with the spirit. And I, I can see Paul doing that as you he know, moves through. You know, it's funny hearing that because I know from being on the other side of that, right. Of growing up in a Baptist family and, um, you know, hearing about Calvary chapel. And I, I, Totally remember my dad saying, oh, yeah, well, that's the Calvary way. You know, you didn't go to seminary. Well, that's not a problem. You'll probably do, a, you know, an online seminary while you're planting your church or yep. uh, pastoring your church or whatever. And to a lot of denominations, they're almost like, ooh, that's pretty scary. You know, you didn't yep. go to seminary, which I understand where they're coming from. But come on, this is a very cultural thing, the whole idea of seminary and um, school in the way that we do it today. I mean, that's that's yeah. a cultural thing. It's not certainly not a biblical thing. I mean, they had training. There's no doubt they had teachers, but yeah. uh, it wasn't like you had to go get your degree before you could go out and do anything. That's it. And preach in a church for this many years and go before this panel. Got to be the youth yeah. pastor for a while, put your yep. dues in, move up to an associate <laughs> role, then you can become a pastor. Yeah, and so and so there's a sense in which you know, um, bringing up Spurgeon, for example, um, Spurgeon was really in any of these guys who there was this anointing of God on them. What they did locally was powerful, but also um, they were used to start a movement. So, for example, um, so so apostolic guys tend to be movement starters as well, and it doesn't need to be the thing that's like worldwide. I mean, not everybody's going to be. Uh, a Spurgeon or a Lloyd-Jones, but Spurgeon started the pastor's college. He started reproducing himself and sending guys out. Luther did the same when guys came out of uh, monasteries and the, the women came out of uh, the, the convents. He started marrying them and sending them out as missionaries. Um, the same with uh, Lloyd-Jones, Ian H. Murray, and his uh, two-volume biography on Lloyd-Jones makes, uh, I can't remember what chapter it was, but he makes a big point to say, all of these various mission societies and movements came up under the influence and or with the support of Martin Lloyd-Jones. So, for example, IVP. We just had um, InterVarsity. We just had uh, Bo uh, Crescetto on last week. Well, uh, InterVarsity was, was a UK thing. And, you know, that was largely uh, Lloyd-Jones threw in his lot with them early on and gave them support when no one knew who they were. And uh, wanted to promote uh, the evangelical faith amongst university students and spoke with them every year and help raise a profile of that. So, you know, there's a lot of things. Uh, Banner of Truth Publishing came out of Lloyd-Jones' church. I mean, uh, certain mission societies. And he just chronicles that Lloyd-Jones was a movement starter. What God did to that guy was so powerful that it had to have an outlet. And so he reproduced all these people and they went out and did cool things. And so you might be apostolic. You might stay in one place. Chuck did, Spurgeon did, and Lloyd-Jones did. 
I mean, you know, both of the latter guys had a couple different churches and Chuck was, you know, had about four or five pastorates before Costa Mesa. But by and large, at a certain point, they, they put down roots and they just became powerhouses. And so there are sending apostles. But, but again, we come back to this theme about, you know, uh, reproducing leaders. And I love your going back to your earlier question. At what point do I need to be thinking about this? You need to be thinking about this from day one. Yeah, I think that it's really important that you start blending that into your DNA right at the beginning, almost along the same lines as, um, I I don't know if we've talked about this on on the podcast or not. I've certainly talked about it with uh, various church planners and church planning organizations, but the idea of uh, tithing as a church to church planting um, needs to start at the very beginning, like the very first month. And yeah. the the reason for it, and it, I'm going to tie this in with your comment on, you know, you got to be a church planting church, thinking about church planting from the beginning. It is very difficult. Like, let's say you, you um, I, I know this one organization, they work with church planters. And then after uh, the church plant's been going for a year, then they want you to start tithing back to them so that they, they can help other church planting organizations. The problem with that model is if they haven't been doing it for a year and now all of a sudden they have to start doing it, they look at it and go, well, now we just lost, you know, 5%, 10%, whatever it is of uh-huh. our of our budget. Whereas if they have to do it at the very beginning, the very first month, by the way, you know, we only brought in $200 this month. Well, you know, whatever the number is, let's say it's 10%, 20 bucks needs to go back to this church planning organization or go towards the next church plant you know, or whatever, right? The, the point is, when you when it's built into the DNA at the very beginning, it's not a big deal when it's time to actually do it, because yeah. you've been doing it the whole time. It's not all of a sudden hit to you. So, if you have the mentality of we're going to be church planning out of this church, then when it comes time to send out those first people, and you know that means there's going to be a hit in tithing because you're sending mm-hmm. out tithers. There's going to yep. be a hit in um, resources as far as uh the the people resources you know maybe one of them was helping out in the children's church and now you're like great you know no one wants to work in children's church because those kids are bratty (laughs) you know now we got to find another one but when you have that mentality built in at the very beginning it's so much easier because you knew it was coming well that's and and you you bring that up it it goes back to the mission statement because let's say you plan a church and then you get elders on and those elders are like you know, wow, you know, they're getting excited. I say this, you know, once you have more, you you have more to lose. And once money and those things come in, people get a bit protective. Hey, this is going well, you know, it's kind of, you can see it in Jesus's ministry where, you know, when, when they're just traveling around, no big deal, but suddenly they got crowds of 5,000 following them. And Jesus starts saying like radical stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He gets rid of the crowd. And there's there's a sense in which they're all really excited that there's so many people. I mean, the, the disciples always got their eyes on the wrong things. And then, you know, they're all bummed when the crowds leave because that was, to them, that was where it was at. And I think with a lot of us, you know, there's this weird thing in church planning where we all want the crowd. Mm-hmm. and 
that's what's happening. You will sacrifice numbers to plan out again. You will f sacrifice. You brought up money. Maybe that's where, you know, as we said, money is one of the biggest hindrances. That's where, uh, you know, you are. You are going to be sacrificing money. So maybe you think, well, you know, we're just at the place where we can start doing cool stuff, you know. But let's say your elders, you know, often your elders, they're, they're businessmen. I'm not saying it should be that way. I'm just saying that's often what happens. People are like, hey, I need this. I need that. And these guys are responsible and, you know, they, they, they can hold their own in the business world. And they put them on. And now these guys are thinking like businessmen. They're not thinking like kingdom entrepreneurs. They're, they, you mentioned the difference between an entrepreneur and a businessman. And, and businessmen are more conservative. Entrepreneurs are radical and they're risk takers. And so now you got these elders and they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa don't rock the boat. Hey, oh, hey, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Jesus, don't be telling the crowds things that are going to get rid of them, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting that you say it like that because um, there's literally nothing that you you can't come up with when you start having money, right? You, you could constantly be adding stuff to your church. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, now we're going to do the world's largest snow cone and really get the, the families in. And, you know, and it's just you start coming up with stuff that you could spend money on. So anytime there's a, a hit to money, meaning you're going to be losing it because you're going to lose people, you're going to lose – whatever you could always do something else with that money. So it, it just has to be built into the DNA at the very beginning that this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And, and just so you know, guys, you know, what will often happen with an elder team is they'll say, not yet, not yet, not yet. And so from the very beginning, it's good to be telling your team. It's good to be telling your church that you're going to plant out. It's good to be telling the entire congregation. And I know like people are like, oh no, people don't like change. People don't, but they know. And you know, for me, I had Church Zero coming out. So I, in my first year, I was able to say with Refuge Long Beach, well, you know, um, I've got a book coming out. It, it, you think I'm crazy now, but you read it then and blah, blah, blah. I would say get, it doesn't have to be Church Zero. I'm not trying to sell the book, but I'm just saying like at a, at a, get them a book that's all about this. It could be Ministry on the Move by David Allerton. It could be, you know, uh, Permanent Revolution by Alan Hirsch. But, uh, you know, get them a book and, and have them study this stuff. Have them read it. Get the DNA into your people so they're more excited, like like Pillar. By well, the time when you I say like, that, let, let me back you up there. When you say, you know, get them a book, have them – Start digging into this. Who are you talking about? Are you talking about the leadership team? I'm talking about everybody, the congregation. Well, see, and I don't know about. Team. I don't know if I agree with that because, first of all, we're not a nation of readers. We're just sure. not. Eighty-four percent of people don't pick up a book after they finish high school. Yes, so, I agree. That's America across the board. However, within churches, um, religious people are a little bit different. Well, are uh, we trying to get more religious people? We're trying well, to get the no, layman no, no. who doesn't read. I well, think getting them to read the Bible is like hard enough, and I don't know, getting them to read another book. No, I don't. I honestly I don't know that point. I'd go there. No, no, I get your point, and and I think it's important can, to can to, you have them listen to the podcast. Just tell them to listen to the Church Planner podcast. Yeah, yeah well, you, you know, go. the podcast by any means necessary, though, right? Like religious people statistically read a lot more than people who don't go to church. It's I don't. I actually, I don't know about that. I I would say maybe. Well, pastors, absolutely, we know that. But I don't know that I would say religious people do. 
Well, here's the deal. If if you're not comfortable with giving people a book or telling people to read a book, I mean, what I do is I just tell people to read a book from the front. And then secondly, I teach on it. You know, I've taught on this stuff. In fact, um, the last message that I posted was me actually teaching on this in the in the final, I think, chapter is maybe Romans 15, not 16, but 15, um, teaching on this. Uh, or no, sorry, it was Colossians 4. Uh, teaching on, you know, how yeah. this whole New Testament thing yeah. worked. And, you know, uh, so you got to teach on it. You got to talk about it. You, yeah, get them listening to stuff. If you find something, just try to wait, raise their awareness about the issue that, hey, we're planting out. And know this, that, that your elder team um, will often say, uh, not yet, not yet. Let's do it, but not yet. Especially if you've been programmed because they're scared. You know, they're not all entrepreneurial. They're not all apostolic. And so particularly if they're teacher shepherds, they tend to be the more conservative uh, in that five gift mix. So they will be body focused. They'll be focused on the church. They'll be, think of it, you know, 40% of, you know, the makeup. If if you look at those five roles as each role representing 20% of the makeup, so you know, the, the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the teacher, and the shepherd. Um, the, uh, ap- the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist make up 60% of that leadership uh, fraction. The 40% are conservatives. 60% God made radicals. So those are guys that are concerned with forward movement. So we need the Marines and we need the Army. We need the bullet stoppers, the guys that go out on the front lines, and we need the guys that establish base camp. So, but you can't let the guys that establish base camp stop kingdom expansion. Yeah, you can't let them stop you going to the front. And so just statistically, it's good for people to know that uh, according to Ed Stetzer, if you do not, if your church plant that you plant does not reproduce itself or plant out within three years, statistically, it never will. And so as your elder team is holding you, hold back, hold back, hold back, be aware of that. That is very important to know. That's That to me is pretty powerful to hear that statistic because um, I look at churches like Saddleback, Rick Warren's church. And wasn't it every year since the first year they've every planted out? Year. Every year. Every year. And I think the yeah. most they had happen one year was like 17 or something and – I mean, but see, that's that that is an example of planting out, you know, how it can actually help you grow. Yeah. Because people are gonna get excited about this Christianity thing as opposed to it's a spectator sport. Like there was someone on on Facebook, you might have seen it this last week, and um they put up this sample scenario. How would you address this? Someone came and visited your church. It was just like the podcast that you and I have. Someone came and visited your church, and then they told you afterwards, I'm never coming back to your church because no one even said hi to me, you know, because yeah. they were going there to be served, you know, come come yeah, serve they're me. They're obviously a Christian. Well, obviously, because they felt like they could go complain to the pastor about no one saying hi, whereas yeah. non-Christians are like, how can I hide in this crazy place? I don't even know if they exactly. like Exactly. So, <laughs> but... And it was just funny, you know, watching everyone's response to it. But um, but my point is, is that 
when you've got that mentality of we're building out, we're, we're sending people out, this is what we're here to do. It changes that focus from I want to be served to I better get ready. Like, how am I going to serve? Or I need to go find another church, which is fine. Go find another church. And you're going to yeah. start getting the right people around you. Absolutely. One of the things you we know. say in marketing, I'll throw this out there. Yeah. Great marketing repels as much as it attracts. Huh. And it's one of the hardest things for business owners to get their mind around because they want to attract everybody. They're like, well, I want everyone to come through my door. No, you don't. You don't want the bad customers, the ones that complain, the ones that nitpick you on price. You don't want those guys coming through your door. We want to repel them. All we want coming to us are the ones that are in business, right, that are yeah. willing to pay us what we want to charge. So like this week, I had uh, someone come to me, and uh, they run a pretty successful organization, and they need a whole bunch of marketing done. And they were referred to me by another client of mine. So I called up my other client. I go, you know, tell me about these guys before I continue this conversation with them. They're like, well, you know, they're going to complain about your prices and stuff. And I just, you know, I want you to know that, that they're they're not going to want to pay you what you charge. So my response to them is, hey, guys, you know, I'd love to meet with you. But first of all, I need to have you go through this webinar. So like normally a company this size, I wouldn't make them sit through my webinar. But I want to repel them because I already know that they're not going to want to pay me what I'm going to charge. So it's like, why waste my time beating around the bush? Let's just repel them. Same thing with church, right? Absolutely the same. Repel the ones who are not going to fit in because, yeah. look, that that church isn't for them. There's plenty of yeah. other churches they can go be pew sitters, professional pew sitters. Yeah, go go over there and do it. Not you here. know, I was I was at a church. Uh, it's called Fountain of Life in Elizabeth uh, City, North Carolina, and this this pastor, his name was Hans Hess. He was a church planner in Washington D.C. Um, did well there. And uh, anyways, but I, I don't remember what the what the I don't think I ever knew what the details were, but something happened with him where um, he was like, I'm going to go to this little country church and I'll, there's 200 people. They were elderly. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not going to be there long, maybe a year until I figure out what God wants me to do next. And I'll just kind of be there. I'll, I'll look after them as best I can before the Lord. And then, boom, within the um, uh, Lord started speaking to him. And he felt the Lord say, tell him that you're going to go after their kids and grandkids. And so he told them. And, you know, normally people like write off an older congregation, you know, you know, a bunch of old people. They don't want to change. I want to. And there were there were some some older people there who were like, you know, kind of stuck in their ways. But it it resonated with the majority of them. And they were like, hey, you going after our kids and grandkids? Dude, I was there. There was almost a thousand people there um, in, a, in just a few short years because this guy went in there and he, he just, it's not a big town, but it's an industrial town. And uh, he just went in there and he went after their kids and grandkids, man, and they got saved. And I think that's the mentality that you want with any uh, group of people coming with you is, hey, if it's going to see lost people saved, we'll go with you, man. We'll do whatever you want to do. And, you know, uh, I, I remember, I don't know if it was on this podcast or, I mean, we've done so much stuff over the last year since we started Church Planner Magazine. At, at this point, I can't even keep the, the story straight from where everything's come from. But I remember hearing about this one guy who's um, in another country. It's not in America. 
and he's essentially a missionary, though, I mean, he's from that that country. And he is 100% reliant on God for all of his needs. He's mm-hmm. just decided that's how he's going to live. So he does not have a job. He does full-time ministry, helping wherever he can. It's not He's not a pastor. He does not make his income that way. He literally just says, God, I'm going to rely on you to provide me food and shelter. And yeah. that's how this dude lives. And mm-hmm. we, we as, um, as Christians, as a whole— but as church planners as well, you know, I I wonder, do I have that kind of faith that I can just say, look, I'm I'm 100% going to rely on God. I don't think I got that. But, you know, the more you have of that, think about how powerful that is. Think about how yeah. God can use someone like that. I mean, talk about church planning. Someone who's just going to say, look, I'm going to rely 100% on God. Yeah. Absolutely, man. And not sweat, you know, that we're going to give up half the people because they're going to go plant another church over the next couple of years. You know, I mean. No, absolutely. And so, you know, one one of the things that's really important on this topic is getting the right people in place. So if we're talking about um, like the elders, you know, how do you make sure that you've got a good elder board? Um, and let me just back up because, like I said, we find ourselves in some some structural models that may not be too helpful. Um, what people tend to think of the elders nowadays is the business board. And that is the worst way, by the way, to, to view elders. If you're thinking, well, there's the pastor and then there's the elders board, you're going to be hard pressed to find that in the scripture. OK, the elders also are not old people. Um, Timothy was an elder. And uh, he was not old. The term elder in the New Testament, they had city elders, they had community elders, and they were, in fact, the old people uh, of a community that had lived. They had kids and grandkids there. They were vested in the community. Um, They had an interest for the good in the community because their families and, and, and the time that they spent there. So that was important. But when Paul comes in in the New Testament, and he carries over this principle of elders, it was something, A, they culturally understood, and B, it spoke to a position of respect and wisdom. And so it didn't matter the age of the person that held the office. What it was is that the, and I know there's people like, don't talk about offices. Well, you know, you can play semantic games all you want, but the reality is not everybody in the church was called an elder. So it was a position, it was a term of respect given to certain members of the community who others felt these guys are worth following, they are worth listening to, they are guides, they are this. They aren't Jesus, nor are they Jesus's mouthpiece, a representative on earth. Uh, We call him the Holy Spirit, and he lives inside of each one of us. I get all those arguments, but the reality is there is leadership in the New Testament. And so these guys were leaders. That was all it was. And by leaders, we mean they were the greatest servants. But they were also people you could trust for wisdom. That was the role of an elder in a community. So, um, of course, we're talking about things to do with the Word of God. Uh, but you want to make sure that you're you're talking about spiritual leaders, not business men. That is the first thing to be said about that. So when you're looking at elders, um, the qualifications of an elder are spiritual and character. Um, and and so the term elder, I believe, is synonymous with any of those five roles in Ephesians chapter four. 
the apostolic leader, the prophetic leader, the evangelistic leader, the shepherd leader, and the teaching uh, leader. All of those would be elders. And so your elders team ought to be a mix of those. Now, if you only have an elders team that has shepherds and teachers, they're never going to plant out unless they've got the church planning bug. Yeah, right? I'd say unless they want to get their own church. Yeah, well, and that's the worst motive to ever plant is so that you can finally have a full-time job in ministry. Um, if that's where you're at, God help you, <laughs> you know, because, you know, it, what if God doesn't call you to that? What if it's not going to be that? You, you'll be upset if the church never reaches, uh, you know, um, critical mass where it can pay you. Um, you shouldn't be going into ministry for yourself. Um, you should go in and and let's say that you go in and you know for the next few years you're only going to have 20 or 30 people in the popular books that sell people would say oh that's you know it it failed it, this and that hey you know what missional community says hey <laughs> it's church baby so we're at a real um kind of culture war within the church right now as to what success is and obviously, we all want to expand the kingdom. We all want to reproduce. But God may have called you to a smaller church. And you may never stand on a platform. You may never write a book. You may never host a podcast. You may never have a film or a biography written about you. You may never stand in front of crowds of thousands. Uh, you may ne never have people banner your name about, I knew that guy. I know him. Um, that doesn't matter. That's not why you're in it. That stuff is crap. I mean, it's absolute nonsense. When it comes down to it, what really matters is what God's called you to do and that you're faithful in doing that word. <laughs> <laughs> game but, over, man. It's game over. Yeah. But when it comes to elders, I mean, really, they need to be ministers. And I always I always hold this view. And this is quite radical. But if a guy has his full time job as a shoe salesman. And or, you know, director of education. I can remember serving with a guy in Wales who was director of education for the county. That's a huge job, lots of prestige. And I was young. I didn't know any better. And they hired me in. This is when I left Lloyd Jones's church. It was my first pastorate. They called me in because they said, well, you know, um, the guy who the other elder, uh, they were there for years. They didn't plant the church, but they were kind of holding the fort down. His job was much too important and paid too well for him to leave it. And so he was going to be one of the elders, but they needed, you know, a monkey like me who'd come in for no pay uh, or next to nothing for peanuts and make all the sacrifices and do all the work, but share equal authority. Well, for me, after that experience, I was like, uh-uh, never again, right? An old pastor friend of mine. Um, who had been a pastor for 50 years, once put it this way to his elders board. He sat in front of him and he said, look, guys, this is in Wales now. He said, when a thunderstorm comes and the rain, it's raining, chucking down cats and dogs, buckets of water all night. He said, which of you lay awake at night thinking, I hope the church is okay and parts of the roof didn't blow off? He said, that's because, <laughs> he looked at him and said, that's because you're hirelings. This is a weekend hobby for you. This isn't your life. It's my life. And so he was kind of he was kind of hitting back a bit because elders boards can be bullies to the pastor, right? They can see him as like you work for us. First thing to understand is you work for God. You don't work for any elders board. Number one. Number two, the guy who makes all the sacrifices, in my opinion, ought to be the team leader. 
He's a guy that takes the hit in his pay. He's left his career. He's left his nets. He's left his tax collector's booth, which, by the way, paid very well. And he lays his life down for the sheep. That is the guy who is the greatest. The greatest is the servant, the greatest servant of you all. And so if you want to be greatest, I think Jesus was saying, it's the guy who's left everything. It's the guy who serves God's people. That's the guy you follow when you talk about greatness. That's the team leader. It is a team, but there is a team leader. And Paul walks into uh, Jerusalem, sees John, Peter, and uh, James, and says in Galatians, I perceive that they were pillars. These were the guys that Jesus took apart. They were the team leaders. They led the other nine together. Maybe each of them led a band of three. Maybe it wasn't that organized. But the reality is we don't know, A, and B, it doesn't matter. In your situation, you need to understand that a guy is not worth his salt as an elder if it's a weekend hobby and his job is much too important and pays too well for him to give it up. I only consider putting a guy on as an elder if in his heart of hearts he would leave it all to serve God's people full time but he's just not able to do so. That is a requirement for me, and I think it's biblical. He'd lay his entire life down. I don't want hirelings leading the flock. I want guys that say, if the money were there, this is what I'd do, and I'd count it joy to half my salary to do it. Yeah, you know, and I think that's that's really key, as we've said many times on the podcast, the DNA of the church needs to be infused in those leaders of what you're there to do. We're there to reach the lost. We're there to reach those who do not know God and need him desperately. And so when when that is everyone's primary focus, because that's what comes through when, like, for, for, you know, the last couple of years, you've been telling everyone we're a church planting church at Refuge. And you've been underscoring that of, you know, we're going to be planting out from here. And, of course, we all assumed – um, just as you did, okay? You'd be the first one to go. Charlie would take over. And yet that's that's not been the way that it happened. It ended up that Charlie went out and planted first. Yeah. And God, God often pulls a switcheroo on you. When when we found a new breed, I thought that I was going to be the the uh, stationary guy. And Di Hanke, uh he's now the, the regional uh, director of A29 in Wales. But we thought he'd be the guy who goes out and um, travels around. Turned out to be the opposite. Now he's a sender and I'm a goer. Yeah. So, I mean, but my point is just that it's got to be so infused in the DNA. And so, I mean, as you bring on elders and, you know, deacons uh, to a lesser extent, but I mean, it's all got to be part of that, that process of this is what we're here to do. This is what we stand for. So whenever we do anything as a church, it's how are we reaching the community? How are we reaching the lost in this community? How are we uh, showing people the way to Jesus? And when that is so infused in who you are, it, it starts to become really hard to do those dumb things you know, that, that churches often do. Uh, we talked about it before on the podcast, the uh, Widowmaker Church, that, that we both read the article in, I don't know, church leadership or whatever it was, where they just had a history of just chewing up pastors and spitting them out. And, and, um, finally the church came around and, you know, this is like 20 years later and they asked all the the pastors back and apologized to them for how they treated them. And, um, 
you don't want your church to get to the point of where they, they chew up pastors and spit them out. But that's a church where it's all about me. How are you going to yeah. serve me? Not how are we going to serve the community? It's really hard to be focused on yourself when you're so busy focusing on everyone else. Yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, and you mentioned the deacon, right? That's super important because um, we don't use these terms anymore, but deacons were servants of the church. Before you be an elder. Hey, hey, I'm Baptist, man. All I thought there were were deacons. <laughs> which were really elders. Which you know? I hear elder and I'm like, what kind of cult are you guys a part of? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but the Baptist church, they, they call them deacons, but they're actually the elders. They're, they uh, govern and um, teach. But here's the deal. So we, one of the, the ways that we keep things moving is we keep deacons and elders. So we got people, they're just, they just serve. So we've talked about Mike Bonomo, Jimbo, Ruben. Those are the first wave of deacons. And of course we put women on too. We had uh, Marlon on us. What? Um, you know, great arguments for, for women deacons in the Bible. Um, that That's a no brainer. That's just, yeah, I can, in two minutes, you can prove that. But here's the deal is that, uh, you know, your deacon is someone who you might call him a pastoral intern, right? Um, the leadership team would be your elders. The uh, the leadership interns would be deacons. They're just going to serve people. That's what leaders do. And so it's kind of a way of um, you haven't given them the responsibility over people yet, but they can lead like a missional community if they're trained. Um, they cut their teeth on ministry. And so I think of those guys as interns. They're eventually going to either be my church planners or my elders in the, the mothership. But I'm always constantly feeling that. So um, we're getting ready to start looking at planting very seriously in San Pedro out of uh, Refuge Long Beach. And so um, we're getting ready to pull our deacons up to elders um, and then recruiting new deacons. And so, you know, that's kind of a, a, a way to keep it moving at all time to make sure that you're constantly raising up and sending out. And so I'm not just going to immediately pull guys up to eldership, but I'm going to start recruiting deacons right away. That's that's my highest priority because I know that uh, part of my DNA is to keep people moving through and keep raising them up and sending them out. And so we'll be chopping some of the people off to go to San Pedro but in the meantime, we don't want to vacuum, so we have to raise people up. Well, that's an interesting point that you bring up. You don't want to vacuum. So, huh, okay. Because, you know, we're, we're talking about planting out, you know, being part of the DNA. So before you plant out, do you make sure there's not a vacuum? Or is it just because you know you're going to be planting out, you got to constantly be thinking about, who am I going to bring in as another deacon? Yeah, you have to always be thinking that. I, I'll, I'm not even going to lie to you. Um, when somebody first gets saved and baptized, I'm immediately thinking, oh, you know, I'd like to pull that person on. You know, not right away. I mean, Paul says, you know, don't don't pull people in when they're novices, lest they get puffed up and proud. But I'm always viewing people for the future. So um, one of the guys, and this is part of the apostolic gifting. One of the guys in our church was like, uh, this is why apostles start movements, John Wesley, all that kind of stuff, because you're not thinking of that church. You're seeing that church as a hub. And what you're doing is you're you're seeing five to ten years down the road. I remember a friend of mine who I, I work with fairly closely, um, you know, at Refuge Long Beach was like, 
he would keep telling me, what about this? Or have you thought about this? And I just smile and say, yep, thought about it. And, uh, and, and I tell him if he asked me, I'd tell him everything that was going on. I don't tell everybody everything. It's not because I'm secretive. It's just because I don't want to freak him out. But if you knew the plan that I have in place at all times, and I let it peek through and I share it in leadership or vision meetings or what have you, it comes out. I just think like Jesus when he's like, look, guys, here's the plan. I'm going to the cross. And then after three days, I'm going to rise again. People just don't understand you. It goes in one ear and comes out the, out the other ear. But I always have a plan. And this guy finally, after you know a few months, he goes, you have a plan, don't you? And I go, yeah. He goes, it's a pretty elaborate plan, isn't it? I go, yeah. He goes, how far ahead are you thinking? And I said, about five to 10 years. <laughs> and that's true. I'm, I'm seeing Refuge Long Beach as a massive church planning sending hub. And eventually I'm looking at every single neighborhood in Long Beach getting a church plant. The reason we're targeting can, San Can we Peter just change the name Refuge then? Well, that's that's definitely a topic for another day because we're going through a name change and it has been the funniest stinking thing on the planet. I'll go oh on the God. record and say I have hated the name Refuge literally since the first day. So when you guys have been talking about changing it, I've been like, yeah, finally. Well, we can't. We just can't rest on a name that we actually like. Well, then which you guys started sucks. coming up with worse names than Refuge, and I didn't think that was possible. Yeah. Well, the the funny thing is, and I always laugh about this. You and I were talking. I was like, in the first century, you didn't have names. Paul wasn't like, I planted a church in Ephesus and I called it Redemption. <laughs> you know, um, we come up with all these lame names, and then and then we're like, yeah, man. You know, it's like this branding. They were just the church in Ephesus. The churches in Rome. They weren't like, well, which one? First Christian Church of Rome, second Christian, because, you know, that's how the Baptist, first Baptist, second Baptist, third Baptist, you know, you you said which one it was. And um, so we're, you know, all my guys are laughing going, how about third, the third something of, you know, they're, they're coming up with the most ridiculous names. While we've been on this podcast, one of my deacons, because it's like the joke, we're constantly sending back just ridiculous names to each other. As we're on this podcast, one of the deacons sent another name. And it was like it was like the name you find in those little country churches in the south, you know, the first church of the Tabernacle of Saint Michael, nice. of Our Lady of, you know, and and we just of the it's rattlesnake. Like a, it's a competition <laughs> to see who can come up with the most ridiculous name, and unfortunately, that's what most of our threads devolve into. Never anything useful is we just end up goofing off and joking around the whole time. So. It's amazing we ever do any kingdom work, eh? I really managed to hijack your whole point with the whole, can we just change the name? <laughs> well, I, I do want to talk because I think you and I talked about, you know, we need to do on one of the podcasts, the 10 worst church planning names. And I think we we said that uh, stay away from names like the clan. <laughs> oh, that's right. We did talk about that. <laughs> Even if it's tagline, like the, you had a cake. great tagline for the clan church. Yeah, yeah, the the clan. We're not hiding who we are. You know, um, <laughs> don't 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 be careful with some of those names. Some of those names are bad. <laughs> some of those names are uh, probably not going to go over well in some communities, and in other communities, they might be a real hit. So you never know. Pete and I came up with some of the worst names for a church plant, and some of them we probably can't even repeat, not because they're immoral, but because they are just so offensive, because literally we came up with the worst names of any church plant. 
you can imagine. I heard you were going to go with Second Westboro Church, Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> but Westboro Baptist Church loves gay people and soldiers. Wait, wait, you should go uh, Westboro Baptist Westside. <laughs> Yeah, West Coast, Westboro. West Coast, Westboro. You know, growing up, the church I went to was Westside Baptist Church. So every time I hear Westboro, I think about my childhood. Westside Baptist Story, the musical. I'm just saying. Oh, there you go. I like it. Sunday night, Sunday night. I don't like it that much. I'll stop that. I'll stop it. So, hey, that's about it. I mean, there are so many things, you know, once once you... uh, you, you start talking about hiring and firing staff. You don't need us anymore. You've outgrown us. Our babies are growing up, Pete. So we're not we even going to talk about fired. stuff like that. <laughs> Volunteers using and abusing people for the kingdom for free. Get well, free labor. I was going to say most stuff that you do is be careful, though. Just a word to the wise. Do not, because you're small and you're needy and you know you are, don't just take anyone who says that they have an ability. Trust Mm. me, it is a lot easier to wait and hire people. Like Charlie Marquez. I'll never forget. Charlie and I used to talk about this all the time. Charlie used to say it's a lot easier to hire people than it is to fire people. Be very careful before you ever put someone in a position. If I can just give you, you know, a lot of times church planners are like, hey, there's only three of us here. You know, so, that's, that's such a good point when you're talking about yeah. a volunteer basis. It's a lot easier to hire them than to fire them. And so many of them yeah. need to be fired. Ab- absolutely. So don't give people authority. Um, in fact, it, what what I've learned to do over the years is just try people. Well, why don't you try that for a few months and we'll come out or a few weeks or whatever. It depends. If it's a once a month thing like breakfast, I let them try it. I say, well, why don't you try it for a couple months? If after the first time it falls apart, well, I got another month to find the replacement. If uh, you know they, it, it's going to be every week, then I said, why don't you try it for the next month? See if you like it. We'll revisit it. I don't give people the keys right away, um, just because it, you know they could be absolute tyrants. And sometimes people, you got to understand. Sometimes people, uh, maybe they're henpecked at home, and you give them a little bit of power at church, and they start taking it out on people um, when they're at church. And they could be really meek people, but dang it, you know, it's like the the parking meter guys, you know, um, they start acting like cops after a while. So just you know, be careful. That's all I got to say. That's probably all we got time for today. You know what I'm saying? I dig it. So, hey, we've been talking about, and this is going to be. <laughs> Sorry. Get to the chopper. I thought that was to get to the chopper, but apparently it wasn't. Maybe this is it. <laughs> nope, wrong button again. <laughs> <laughs> hit, hit my favorite one. You know the one. Um, Are you talking about cha-ching? Nope. Oh, then I, I have no idea which one's your favorite one. It's called poop. That's my favorite. I have no idea where that one is. I don't use it enough. Oh, dude, that one's the best. It's called poop. Look, get over it. (laughs) That's right. Flies eat poop. Yeah, that's That's what what it was. was. (laughs) Flies eat poop. (laughs) That's the greatest. So anyways, okay, well, here's the deal. Uh, maybe Maybe my maturity level is not 60. Maybe your IQ is even lower than 60. Could be. Could be. Must be. 
Well, hey, this has been episode 60. We're kicking off this series, the top issues that church planters face, because you guys seem to like series. Spread the word for us. Tell your friends about it. Tell them what you learn on the Church Planter Podcast with your old buddy Pete and Peyton Jones. And don't forget to pick up the magazine that's out on the stands right now. We now have an Android version, and it is in the Apple iNews stand as usual. The theme issue is, when is it time to quit? I got a compliment the other day. Someone said, that has been your best magazine so far. Be sure to run out and pick it up. And lastly... I think that was the only person who read it, but you know. It was just one person. But I wanted it to sound like a bunch of people said that. It was you. (laughs) (laughs) Except I didn't say that. Yeah, you didn't. Pete was like, this one sucks. But here's the deal. Um, we want to remind you uh, to call the number. What's that number again, Pete? 562-553-0004. All right. And uh, hit us with the questions you want answered in future. Pete and I are going to be putting together a seminar, and we want to hear the questions that you need answered. Holy cow. Did you hear that? <laughs> did I hear it? I thought it was coming through your living room. <laughs> We want to hear the questions you want answered for, and some of the people that you would like to hear from. So let us know that. And anyways, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to reach the people nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Okay, that's the best. The timing is everything. (laughs) Okay, now we're done. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church Planner Magazine.